We started two weeks ago a series on Psalm 23, and uh, last week I was teaching children's church, so tonight or this morning we pick up in the second part of our study on Psalm 23, and so let's just get started this morning. If you would, please stand in the honor of the reading of the Word of God. We will read Psalm 23 again this morning. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let us pray. Lord, we love You this morning. Lord, we've gathered together because we love You. God, because we believe You are worthy of our worship and our praise. God, I pray, Lord, as the pastor this morning, God, that these people who have got up who have cared to get around and get ready to come worship You, to hear Your Word preached. God, I pray that You would feed their soul this morning with spiritual food. God, I pray that we would know You better. God, I pray that we would understand Your relationship to us in a deeper way. Lord, we pray that if anybody be lost this morning, that they would be saved. God, that they would run to You and find the free pardon of sins in Your arms. God, I ask now that You would anoint me to preach with the unction of heaven. God, that You would help me to rightly divide the Word of truth. God, I pray that Your Word would go forth. It would penetrate our hearts. God, it is life. It is life-giving Word. It is life-giving seed. And I pray this morning it would penetrate fertile ground. God, we ask that You, supernaturally, would help us to hear. God, help our minds to be focused on You. As we hear Your Word this morning, do a work in our midst, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Before I really get to Psalm 23, I want to say something that's relevant to this week, uh, the last couple of weeks, and not necessarily relevant to Psalm 23, the second part of this sermon series. But throughout history, there have been different moves of God. Sometimes they have been moves that have made a difference uh, throughout history. Sometimes they are moves that have um, impacted a certain sphere of time. Sometimes they are moves that just take place over two or three weeks, and there is significant work that is done. And other than what heaven knows about it, we know very little about it. But in our particular area, over the last two weeks, there has been a significant move of God. Things that are not normal, and that's what I mean by significant move of God. Uh, youth group in Wellington on Wednesday night of this week, so just four or five days ago, had 15 students saved during one service. Amen. Amen. Last week, uh, seven days ago from today, 
Um, the Westside Free Will Baptist Church was just having normal services, nothing planned. And God showed up in a very special, powerful way. Showed up again Sunday night, and they ended up having revival this entire week. And I think they went all the way through Friday, if I'm not mistaken. And I know that on um, Wednesday night, they had 15 saved. Wednesday night, they had a, several saved. Last week on Sunday, and over the last two weeks, uh, at least in our circle that I'm aware of, there have been about 40 people make public declarations of their faith in Jesus Christ. God works in ways like this. I've watched it as a pastor. There have been times that uh, over the years I've had somebody say, hey, did you talk to Pastor Josh? Because you guys preach the same text and same basic sermon. We didn't talk to each other. I don't know what he's preaching. I don't have time to call and ask what he's preaching. He don't have time to call and ask me what I'm preaching. And I don't care what he's preaching. And he don't care what I'm preaching. We need to be hearing from God. But what we find is that God is often speaking to His people the very same message here and there and there. And what I know is that God is doing something significant right now. And I just want you to have your ears tuned in. Maybe there's a need in your life that you have specifically been needing God to answer. I want to ask you this morning to have spiritual ears. I want to ask you to have an open heart. Most often the reason we don't hear from God is because we're not really looking to hear from God. We're looking for God to say something we want God to say. And so we have walls up to say, I'm not going to hear unless the preacher says this. I'm not going to listen unless somebody says this. And I just want to encourage you this morning, if you really want to hear from God, to open your heart and say, God, speak to me. I have no guarantees of anything going to happen, but I know that I was led to pray about twice as long about this morning's service as any service I've prayed about in the last two years. I can't tell you why. I know that I got a text at 5.50 a.m. this morning from Jeremy Howell who said, I got up out of my bed and I'm praying at the exact moment for revival to fall on Crossway Church this specific morning. I don't know why Jeremy Howe woke up at 5.30 this morning in Arkansas and began to pray for us to have revival this morning. I can't explain it. But I want you to be aware of it. I don't want you to show up with a simple attitude of, hey, we've got an hour and a half of church and then let's go and do what we're going to do. But I want you to have a spirit of expectancy that the God of heaven and earth loves me personally and has a specific thing to speak to me this morning. Amen? So I'm not changing the sermon. I'm not changing anything. We're just going to pick up where we left off in the second part of Psalm 23. In week one, we looked at the Lord is mine. He's mine. He is my shepherd. This, today, I want to look at one simple thought. I shall not want. I shall not want. You need to understand the word want is a word that really means lack. If we, if we translated it specifically to our modern day English, it would say, I shall not lack. It, when we think of the word want, we think of desire. And I acknowledge that the two are very similar, but it's possible to desire things we don't need. And the passage that tells us, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want is not necessarily telling us 
that we're never going to desire anything that we don't have. It's not necessarily telling us to be very specific and just say it. That It's not telling us what the prosperity gospel movement wants us to think. That if you give right, have faith right, and be right, that you're going to be richer than your neighbors, that you're going to have more cars than you know what to do with, that you're going to have more houses than you know how to live in, and that all of us are going to be fat, wealthy, and rich. That's not what it means when it tells us, I shall not want. And specifically, what it really means is, I shall not lack. What is it, though, that we will not lack? What is it that is God being ours, we're not going to need? First of all, before I get there, let's consider the conditions of the man who said such a thing. Through my studies, it is, it is um, my personal opinion that it is most likely that David penned Psalm 23 while he was running for his life from Saul. It would make sense, it, the, the location, um, it would make sense, the, the analogies that he gives that he wrote these things while his mind was pondering about him running helplessly for his life. There is some commentators who believe that it, it was penned when he was running from Absalom, when his son Absalom came against him, and, Absalom, and, and, uh, and David ended up saying, let Absalom take the kingdom. And David retreated, and there was a war for a period of time between his own boy and his boy's kingdom, and David and David's kingdom... Absalom was eventually killed and David was restored to the king of Israel and to his rightful place. Some believe he wrote Psalm 23 during that period. There are others who believe that David wrote Psalm 23 at the end of his life as a wise king looking back on all that God had brought him from. But regardless of where he wrote it, regardless of when he wrote it, is significant all that David went through in his lifespan. David was the king of Israel. Arguably the greatest king that Israel ever knew. The Bible says that for the most part, all that he did was right, except concerning Uriah the Hittite. We know that David had a colossal failure. We know that David as a man failed and gave in to his flesh, that he had an adulterous relationship, that he tried to cover it up by murdering the woman's husband that he had had this affair with. David was not a perfect man. But throughout his lifespan, ultimately, he was a man after God's own heart. He was a man who was broken in repentance for his sin. If you don't believe so, read Psalm chapter 51. He was broken for what he had done against the living God. But even though David was the greatest king that Israel had ever known, David knew what it was to suffer. David knew what it was to wait on God's promises. Have you ever felt like God showed you something? Have you ever prayed for your marriage and felt like God had given you a peace that one day your spouse was going to come around and, and, and treat you the way a godly spouse should treat you? And then it seems like months go by and years go by and you begin to wonder, God, did you even speak such a thing to me? Have you ever felt like God showed you and spoke to you that, that He would use you in some form of ministry, that, that your business was going to be successful, that He was going to use you to master 
magnify His name. And weeks go by, and months go by, and years go by, and you begin to wonder, God, did I really hear You? Was that just my emotion that day? Was I just stirred inside? Was I hearing myself? Or God, was I hearing You? David knew what that was like. But David didn't just hear it inside. I mean, Samuel came to David. Came to David's house. And said, David, you're the king. I am Samuel, the prophet of Israel. And God has sent me to anoint you as king of this great land. And Samuel took the horn and he poured out the oil on David and anointed him as king. It was a real, identifiable experience. And David knew what it was to wait for years for that to come to pass. No doubt, like many of us, as David was in a cave, trying to sleep, hearing the the bark of dogs in the background that he knew were King Saul's dogs out to sniff him out and hunt him down. No doubt, he was a human being like you and I, brothers and sisters. No doubt, David laid there at times and wondered, did Samuel miss it? Did, did I miss it? Is this, is this God's, God's version of what a, a king looks like? You see, David knew what that was like to wait on God's promises. David knew what it was like to be unloved by his own family. David knew what it was like to have brothers that were jealous of him. You remember David showing up asking about Goliath? And what did his brothers basically say to him? Listen, you little run, run back home. And yet David could say, I shall not want. I shall not lack. Can you say this morning the same thing that David said? I shall not want. Even in the middle of the cave. Even when your own son has turned against you and you are running from your kingdom and you're not certain how your legacy will end. He said, I shall not want. I shall not lack. And I want you to know this morning, it's not that he was speaking uh, courage to himself. This is a statement of fact. I do not lack. Because the Lord is mine. Can you say it this morning? Can you truly say, I shall not want? I want you to understand the key to such a statement. The reason David could say this with certainty all lies in the simple words, the Lord is mine. The Lord is mine. I'm going to speak spiritual words to spiritual people this morning, if I may. It will take a spiritual ear to hear what I'm about to say. The only thing that will ever satisfy your soul is when you can come to understand what it means that the Lord is mine. Are you drinking this morning from the well that satisfies? The Lord is mine. You remember in Genesis chapter 15, what did God tell Abraham? He said, I am your exceedingly great reward. I shall not lack. I shall not want. Why? Because the Lord is mine. He's my shepherd. 
I shall not lack. I shall not want. Why? Because the Lord is mine. He is the prize, brothers and sisters. Until we learn that He is all that we need, that He is enough, that He is the well that satisfies, we will look to every other source in this world to satisfy the longing of our soul. And we will find that no matter how much we drink, it does not satisfy. No matter how much we take in, we still are left empty. We still are left thirsty. We still are left hungry because we are not drinking from the well that satisfies. David said, I shall not lack. He said, I shall not want. It's not that he was not running for his life. It's not that he was in denial about the circumstances that he was in. It's not that he refused to believe the situation around him. It's that he had spiritual eyes, a spiritual heart, a spiritual mind to understand that even in the midst of trouble, even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of a devil that is out to steal, kill, and destroy my life and ruin my legacy, there is a God who is mine. And He is the Maker of heaven and earth. All that is good comes from Him. He is not a resource. He is the source of all that is good. And He is mine. And so no matter what comes against me, no matter if armies encamp against me, He said in Psalm 27, I am secure. I am loved. I am safe. I have value because God is mine. Jesus said in John chapter 7 and verse 37. Go ahead and pull that up if you will. John 7, 37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. If anyone thirsts, that's an interesting statement because we all do. There's nobody who doesn't. If anyone thirsts, it teaches us that His offer is open to everybody. Doesn't matter what you've done this morning, doesn't matter how bad your life has been, does not matter how many times you have turned God away, does not matter how many times you have hardened your heart to God's bidding to come, from God's bidding to drink of the well of life, you are welcome to come this morning. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. I want you to see something this morning. And again, it will take spiritual eyes to see it. We need an awakening in the American church. I want you to look at the two words, to me. Let him come to me and drink. It's Jesus that we need. Not not his stuff. See, when we say it's Jesus that we need, too many people think, well, that's right, because i got a bill that needs paid and He can pay the bill. You don't need Jesus to pay your bill. You need Jesus. Some people think, well, it's Jesus that I need because He has the power to change my husband or change my kids or change my wife. You don't need Jesus to change your husband or to change your kids or to change your wife. You need Jesus. He is the prize. It's not that we need a God who can do what we can It's simply that we need God, period. And all too often, we're not really looking for God. 
We're not really looking for Jesus. We don't show up to church expecting to drink of Jesus, to take in the living life of Jesus, to change us. We come hoping that Jesus does something. And there is a great big difference between wanting Jesus to do something for you and actually wanting Jesus. Jesus said, if any of you thirst, let him come to me. I shall not want. I shall not lack. This is only possible when I understand He's the source. He's all that I need. He is life. He's the way. He's the truth. All of it. He is everything that I need. He is not part of what I need. He is not a part of my life that needs to be there. He is all and everything. And everything else that I do in life finds its purpose in Him and His purpose for me. How to be a father. How do I handle my business? How do I handle a certain situation or circumstance I'm facing? How do I raise children? How do I be a husband? How do you be a wife? All of these questions about life are ultimately found in Him and His purpose for me. He is the source. The Lord is my shepherd. He's mine. I shall not lack. Let me ask you this something this morning. I want you to be honest with your heart. I want you to, 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 to somehow drown out everybody else in this place as if God was speaking only to you. Do you feel like you lack? Do you feel like there is something in your life that is not fulfilled yet? Do you feel like something needs to happen first for you to be able to say, I don't lack anything? If the answer is an honest yes, If the answer is an honest yes, Pastor, I feel as if I'm lacking something. You have not learned the secret of the Lord is mine. You have not learned the truth that He is all that I need. That when Jesus said, come to Me and drink, it was Him only that we need. And what does He say? In John chapter 7, as we read on, He who believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, out of His heart will flow rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. He's speaking about the filling of the Holy Spirit in us. The life of God living in us. And here's what He says about it. It is so full, it will flow out. Not only are you not going to lack, but you're going to be so full of all that is God, you're going to be so full of it that it's just going to flow out of you. It's going to overflow. You won't be able to contain it in that vessel of yours. I will fill it to the top, but it's going to flow out of the top. It's going to go flow out of the side. It's going to come out of you because God does not cause us to lack. I shall not lack. The enemy wants us to feel like we lack. As studying for this particular sermon thought, I couldn't help but think about marketing. 
We are the most marketed to generation of people in the history of the world. Every product somehow tries to convince us that we are not complete without the product. That if you don't get the newest iPhone 8.6, you are ancient. And you're missing out. And you will be hopelessly doomed on your really slow device, wasting precious seconds of your life with your slow processor. You need it to be happy. Our children are marketed too. I mean, they market our kids to make our kids be convinced if they don't have it, they're not, they're not being taken care of. They're not going to be satisfied. It's the newest, greatest, latest thing. You've got to have it. And the marketing doesn't start with children only. It doesn't stop with children. It, we are marketed to, through our entire life, to believe that we are missing something. That is the goal of marketing. And that if you'll get this thing, you will find meaning and fulfillment. And you know what's incredible? I, I, I'm going to go there this morning just because I feel led to, even though we got kids. Because I'm trying to speak spiritual words to spiritual people. The devil's learned to multi-market. He will try to market to us the need for a great vehicle, and he will market it to us with sex. Not only does the great vehicle make you look greater and, and, and be faster and better than you know what, what you currently have, your old junker. Notice the person marketing is subliminal, but they've, a lot of times they've got a, a, you know, a great looking woman on there dressed up and it's really a tiny one piece cut in half and halves up top and half down low. And the, the insinuation is, it's unspoken, it's subliminal. But the insinuation is, girls like this, like this car. You get a vehicle like this, and it will up your manpower. You will be more attractive. And we are marketed to constantly. So now, so now the idea is that I lack in two things. I mean, I lack in having a sweet car, but I also lack in manpower. And this one purchase can fix these two needs in my life. This is real stuff I'm talking about. This is the culture we live in. And we are constantly told the lie. We are constantly told you don't have enough. And here's the problem. If you begin to believe that and you decide to get on that rat wheel, it never ends. It's... It's constantly, there's more and more and more and more. And the marketing tells us that if you'll just get it, you'll feel complete. And then you get it and you feel complete for a couple of weeks until the next iPhone 9.3 comes out. And it's even bigger than your tiny little thing. Why'd they make them so small ever to begin with? I don't understand that. Can you see your screen? Here's mine. They're going to start coming with handles on it because it's so stinking heavy to hold. Hey, it's the world we live in. And what happens when... And I want you to think about 
You as a person. How many times do you see a billboard? See, these are things we don't think about. They just become part of our culture. How many times do you see a billboard? How many times do you hear a radio ad? How many times do you see a television commercial that is saying to you, you're not going to be complete till you have our product? And you hear that a hundred times every two or three days maybe? Maybe a hundred times a day. Five hundred times a week. Two or three thousand times a month. Twenty thousand times a year. A hundred thousand times over a ten year span. And it's real easy for us to start to think, you know what, I just, I'm never going to be satisfied until I have, 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 have. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not lack. I do not lack. The enemy's goal is to create in us an unhealthy desire for things that we do not need. Look what James chapter 1 and verse 15 says about this matter. James chapter 1 and verse 15. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. You see, the devil is always moving us towards death. God is always moving us towards life. They are polar opposites. But how is the process? We see in James chapter 1 and verse 15, the process. When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Where there is no desire, there is no temptation. Where there is no temptation, there becomes no sin. There are certain things in my life I just don't desire. There are certain things you cannot tempt me with. I'm not tempted that way. I'm not tempted with that particular thing. I don't have any desire for it whatsoever. And so it is powerless to cause me to sin. But there are some things that I have great desire for. And I must learn how to turn my heart towards God and say, God, change my desires. Help me to recognize my unhealthy desires. Help me to not think that everything I desire I need. And help me to remember that You are mine. That You are the prize. And if I am not satisfied at this stage in life, if I am not satisfied with where I am today, It must be because I have believed some lie about something that I desire more than you. I have desires that are unhealthy. But here's the principle. It's desire that gives birth to sin. You have to understand the tactics of the enemy. It is to create desire in you for that which you don't need. And it would make sense that after years of marketing, after years of mass media, after years of, 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 of Internet and the particular era of time that we live in humanity, that we are marketed 100,000 times a year or more. Because the devil understands his job is to create desire in us that is unhealthy. We have to be cautious against this. We have to guard against this. I shall not want. I shall not lack. Can I tell you this morning, 
as a pastor in this culture, it is so difficult to communicate truth. Because something else that the enemy has, has crept in and done, he's crept in, he has stole our language. So love no longer means love. Our children are being brought up and they're being taught from the public in general. I'm not going to blame it all on the school system. It's just our culture that love means that you don't ever say anything to anybody that you disagree with. That's what love is. That tolerance means that you don't ever say anything is wrong. And that loving somebody and caring for somebody means simply trying to make them happy and fulfilling their personal desires. Well, first of all, that's not true. But you know what happens is then we begin to see, in large part of the culture, as a church, we think that if God loves us, if God cares about us, then God should want me to have all of this stuff and all of these things. And, and so, Christianity in large part, I, I don't understand why, I don't get it, I don't know, I only know that it's happened. In large part, the church has changed its message. And now we try to appeal to the fleshly side of man instead of his spiritual side. And now we try to interpret all of the Bible as if, God's going to, for example, I just read a, a, a pastor the other day, I'm not going to say his name, but um, he said God wants you to have all that your heart desires. That's not true. God does not want you to have all that your heart desires. That is a lie from the pits of hell. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and... Did you know that and means that it's the same part of the sentence? We're not talking two different sentences. We're not talking two different passages. Same sentence, same thought. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, why would we leave that first part off? Why would we cut off and? Everything that comes before it and just tell the world God wants you to have all that your heart desires. You see, that appeals to their flesh side. That appeals to their own worldly understanding of, of what they want. Number one is a total tragedy. It is not biblical and it is hurting more than it's helping. Because it doesn't happen. Life happens to all of us. It rains on the just and the unjust. Bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. God is more concerned about the eternal state of your soul, about your relationship with Him in a deep personal way, and about using you to build His kingdom than He is about giving you a bunch of little gifts to build your earthly kingdom. You see, if you don't delight yourself in the Lord, you think about the word delight. Delighted. It means that I love. It means that it's something I just enjoy. I think about it. I want it. It's what's on my mind. I'm delighted in it. If you delight yourself in the Lord, you've got your heart right. And once your heart is right, and once your heart desires God, and once your heart beats for God and the things of God, then God will give you the desires of your heart. But not until then. The devil wants to create within us unhealthy desire. 
And then he wants to feed us a package that God's going to give you your unhealthy desire. Because the devil knows the Word of God. He knows that God won't. I shall not lack. Can you say that this morning? I shall not want. The Lord is mine. I'm going to close this morning with this quick thought. What is it that I shall not want? If I was to put it into one simple statement, I would say purpose. The reason I exist. Ultimately, that's what we're all after. Why am I here? What am I here for? What is the purpose of me? Money cannot answer that. Success cannot answer that. And until you understand, the Bible says this, you were created by Him and for Him. It tells me why I'm here, He created me, and then what I'm here for, for Him. There is nothing in this world that can give you purpose except for the One who created you. And you will. this world chases everything trying to answer that question. Trying to fulfill that void in the depth of their soul. Why am I here? Why do I wake up tomorrow? Why do I go to work? Why am I married? Why do I have children? Why, 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 why? And I'm here to tell you this morning, the world has all sorts of answers, but they are all wrong. There's only one answer that is truly correct, and that is for the glory of God. You are created by Him and for Him. And God is concerned about the soul, the matters of the heart, the things that have eternal significance. And there are three main areas. Three. This morning, I'm going to share with you briefly, maybe two minutes apiece, that we do not lack in. The areas that matter. Number one, I shall never lack in the area of being loved. You will find that the marketing that I spoke about earlier, the the desire for things, appeals in some way to one of these three things. They are basic, instinctive human needs that we all know we need. Some of us fight for love. Some of us fight for self-worth. Others of us fight to feel safe. But those three basic human needs to be loved, to know that I matter, that is self-worth, and to know that I'm safe, I'm going to be okay. Those are the three basic human needs that we fight for, we hunger for. We do everything we can to establish them. And I'm here to tell you today, the Lord is mine and I shall not lack. You can't take it away from me. I am loved. I do matter. I have vowed you. The King of Kings is my Father. And I'm safe because He's going to take care of me. God wants you to know this morning as His child, you shall not lack. You are loved. You are loved and your God has did more than any human or all the humans in this world could ever do to show you they love you. It's already settled. It's already done. There is no question about it. He sent His Son to die on Calvary's cross to show us that He loved us. 
He didn't just say it. He didn't just tell us. Jesus didn't just come to earth in the form of a man and take on human flesh for a period of 33 years and stop in and say, I love you, trust me. He proved it with His willingness to bleed and die. He proved it with all that He went through as He endured the cross and everything it took to get there. He loves us today. And God has made no shortage of words about it in the Bible. For God so loved the world. That's what it tells us in John 3.16. In Ephesians chapter 2, because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. In Psalm 36, Your love, O Lord, it reaches to the heavens and Your faithfulness to the skies. Your price, how priceless is your unfailing love. God's love is unfailing this morning. I wish I could tell you that everyone that you ever know would have unfailing love for you. They won't. I wish I could tell you that I would have unfailing love for you. And I won't. But God has unfailing love. I wish I could tell you that the people who should love you the most will always have unfailing love for you. They won't. Sometimes your children will turn on you after you've raised them and you've did everything you can to love them. Sometimes your parents will abandon you. And you'll wonder, how could a parent abandon me? We live in a terrible world. But there is one. The Bible says He sticks closer than a brother. And His love is unfailing. And when the whole world turns and the whole, when I feel like I'm all alone and nobody loves me, I can know that I know that I know that I know that He loves me and I shall not lack. Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. Greater love has no one than this that He lay down His life for His friends. His love endures forever. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. And the Bible says we love God because He first loved us. I shall not lack. We need to feel like we have vowed you. I want you to know something. God created you to be loved. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be loved. God created you to be loved. And we need to have value. There's nothing wrong with wanting to know I have purpose. There is a reason for me. My life matters. Listen to the preacher this morning. Your life does matter. All of the people in your life, your circumstances, the the, the, the things you have grown to, to come up and see with your eyes and hear with your ears might try to send you a message that your life does not matter. But this is the only message that really matters. This is the eternal message of the living God. And God says to you this morning, you do matter. You were created with purpose. God loves you and has a plan for your life. He did not make a mistake. You are not a mistake. He has a plan for you and you have love and value. Jeremiah 29.11 For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. Psalm 139 says, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise You, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I shall not lack. 
You ever wondered exactly how valuable you are? Is there anybody here this morning without a show of hands you struggle with value? You feel like you don't matter. You feel like you're worthless. Listen to me carefully. How do you determine value? How do you determine what something is worth? How how do we determine that? Who would give me $200 for this piece of paper? If you raise your hand, I'm going to make you do it. $200 for this piece of paper. What if I signed it? $200 for this piece of paper. (laughs) See, my signature is not worth $200, and this is not worth $200. You determine value, it's very simple, by what someone would pay for it. That's how you determine value. It's a simple question. It doesn't take a lot of thought. This is not great theological breakthrough here. Value is simply determined by what somebody would pay for it. That's how they value homes. That's how they value cars. That's how they value baseball cards. That's why a card that was once worth $40 is now only worth 4 Because it used to be difficult to get baseball cards before the days of the Internet where you could just put them on there and shoot them around the world. It was difficult to come by them. The same exact card. Once worth 40 now worth 4 Why? Because value is determined by what someone will pay for. It's that simple. It's economics. You're welcome if you didn't. Didn't know that? There you go. There's your economic lesson for the morning. But I'm talking about your value. That's what I'm talking about. What did God pay for you? This is a, I'm going to tell you something. This is something people have a difficult time grasping. This, this is something that there are some out there that if they took the snippet of some of the things I'm about to say, and just played it, would even say that it's heresy. But I just want you to listen to me. And I want you to determine it yourself. If value is determined by what somebody would pay for something, then how valuable are you? What does God say about the matter? Because God said, I will pay the price of my own son for you. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you see yourself as valuable as the Son of God Himself? Every one of us, myself included, would have a very difficult time giving a resounding yes to that question. Wouldn't we? But there's one who didn't have a problem saying, that's how valuable I see you. And there's the one who sent His Son to die. And here's what we've got to see, brothers and sisters. This is not a theoretical The Bible doesn't tell us what if God sent His Son. He did. The Bible doesn't tell us what if Jesus died and rose from the grave for the forgiveness of our sins. He did. It's done. It's already happened. The price has already been paid. And the all-knowing God of heaven and earth who knows the beginning from the end, who spoke all that we see into creation, that God determined that you and I were worth the price. And I'm telling you something, when you see it, I'm speaking spiritual words to spiritual people this morning. When you see it, you will understand there's not an iPhone 9.3, there's not a dollar amount in this world, there's not a number of cars, there's not a number of houses, there is not a multitude of people who could praise you enough that will ever give significance like understanding God's value of you. 
I shall not lack. He sees me as valuable enough to die on my behalf. Who? The Lord, that's who. You'll have to listen to sermon number one to get that part. The Lord, Yahweh, the one true God, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who holds the, 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 the waters of the world in his palm of his hand. This one, that one. He's the one who sees me that valuable. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks all of a sudden. It doesn't matter if the whole world doesn't think I'm valuable. The God of this world says I'm very valuable and He has paid the cost to prove it. He loves me. I am valuable in the eyes of God. And finally this morning, I have safety. It is a basic human need to feel safe. I want to remind you again, as I finish this last point, I want to remind you again of David's situation through his life. This is a man who knew what it was to sleep in caves because somebody was hunting him down. Yet, he had safety. Yet, he was secure. What does it mean that I'm secure? What does it mean? David said, though 10,000 come against me, though, though I've got enemies on the left and on the right. That's what he said. I will not fear. You know, it's a basic need to feel safe, but I want you to understand something. Until you realize God alone is the source of your safety, you'll never feel safe. If the need, if your need to feel safe is dependent upon not having to sleep in a cave from time to time while you're running from your enemies, you'll never feel safe. Because the enemy is real. He's out to steal, kill, and destroy. We live in a fallen world. And if you're part of God's kingdom, you've joined yourself into a war that most of the world is against you. But God has promised to take care of us. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 says, The Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. But pastor, what about when I'm not doing everything right? Well, good, good news. I don't do everything right either. I wish I did. I really do. God knows my heart when I say that. None of us do it right all the time. Not me, not you, not your neighbor, not your husband, not your wife. And it'd be good for us to get a hold of that and not expect everybody to do it right all the time and have a little grace with each other the way God has grace with us. But you know what? When we don't do it right, Paul told Timothy, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, be confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to ask you to pull up as I read the last Scripture. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. How safe are we as God's children in a world that's out against us? How safe are we as God's children when at times we find our lives in a cave hiding for our lives? How safe are we as God's children? Verse 31 of Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is He who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who has loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors. Are you that? Are you more than a conqueror? Now, I don't mean do you believe that. I'm not asking if you believe that. There's probably not a Christian in the room that if I read a passage of Scripture and said, do you believe that, that would say, no, I don't believe it. I'm not asking do you believe that you're more than a conqueror. I am asking you, are you more than a conqueror? It only comes, I'll ask our worship team to come, it only comes when we understand, in Him I shall not lack. In Him all my needs are met. Oh, the problem with the church this of our era is that so often we look everywhere else except to God. We look for God's blessings. We look for God's hands. We look for God's things. We look for God's influence. And God is just simply saying, when will you come and look for Me? I am the source. I am who you need. I'm the one that loves you. I'm the one that cares for you. I'm the one that gives you value. I'm the one that provides you safety. Father, I pray that You'd move all across this room, Lord. I pray that I've said what You've had me to say. I pray, God, that whatever I may have said didn't come out right, that You'd take it and make it be heard right. I pray if there be anybody here this morning who is not first turn from this world and turn from trying to find their, their, their purpose and meaning in this world and turn to You for the forgiveness of sins. God, that today would be the day that they would come. Lord, I pray, God, that there be Christians here this morning who have, have found their Christian walk to this day somewhat unsatisfying, somewhat unfulfilled, that God, they would see they haven't really been longing for You. They haven't been really drinking from the well of Jesus, but they've only been looking to You to do what they think needs done. God, help them to see they'll never be fulfilled in those things that You're the source. God, this morning, may they run to You in repentance. May they run to You with open arms and open hearts and say, God, I will get my focus on Thank you.